You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. to another episode of The Potato Files. I am your host, Jeff Paul, the human potato of comedy. My guest today is a very accomplished comedian. He's uh, grew up in uh, the UK, I take it? Yeah, UK, Indeed. England. Yeah. Uh, now he makes his home in St. John, New Brunswick. He's uh, down in Toronto doing the downtown yuck yucks all weekend. I don't know why I'm plugging that because you're going to hear this three weeks from now. <laughs> uh, but James Mullinger is my guest today, guys. Say hello or do whatever. Honk your horn if you're in your car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am. I'm listening out for those songs in three weeks from now. I'll be back in downtown Toronto listening for those songs. Hello, it's, it's genuinely on to be here. And thanks yeah, for yeah, thanks for on. coming down, man. Um, this is, uh, what do you think of the Never Sleeps Network studio? I, I absolutely love it. I could not picture it in my head and it's absolutely <laughs> perfect. Uh, and it, it does a remarkable view of Toronto. So uh, Yeah, we got a nice view of the gardener before it falls down eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll be nice. It's yeah. going to be a good day when that thing just collapses. That's it, yeah. It'll be a good day when there's not 50 cranes in every view. Oh, buddy, uh, there's, there's nothing but cranes in this city. They, <laughs> they always say Toronto uh, usually has the most cranes up worldwide. Oh, really? Is yeah, that? Yeah. Well, that is an interesting fact. Yeah, we are we are a city the, on the grow. The crane capital. Of, it's interesting. I recently did a... You know, you get these random corporates and I did the, the, the Crane Rental Association <laughs> of Canada. Living the dream. And, uh, and, and little did I know that, that clearly this is the place that they are did you, coining it in. Did you have a joke about like piss bottles and shit buckets and stuff? <laughs> once you get up in that crane, yeah, you're yeah, there yeah, for you, the next eight hours. That's true, yeah. <laughs> I think the one thing they hadn't backed on is the fact that whatever their organization is, the Crane Rental Association in Canada, it, it stands for crack. So, uh, but I don't think they'd, they'd ever uh, thought of that. <laughs> no well, one just, had realized. They're, they're just crane workers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great. Um, so we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna open your rate up on this thing. This is what we do here. We uh, we bring guests down here. I make them very uncomfortable for oh, an hour. Get real personal. That's uh, hey. This is hey. I, I doubt there will be anything that I will be afraid to uh, open up with you. Good. So good. Just, we'll we'll just start at the beginning. You're uh, where in the UK were you born? So I was born in Maidenhead, Berkshire, which is a small town, which is about, I'd say it, the Whitby, it's Whitby, Whitby. to Toronto. <laughs> it's Toronto's Whitby is, is the best way to describe it. So you know, uh, one of those kind of commuter belt towns where, like, my parents met in London, mm-hmm. uh, dated for a while, and then realised they were having a, a child they didn't want, and they kind of did that thing where you kind of get on the train and you, you stop at every stop mm-hmm. uh, until you London, can afford something, uh, until you can find one. Exactly, yeah. And they got to Maidenhead, and um, and then grew up there, and then I guess about went to university in a place called uh, Kingston, and then. Um, moved to London when I was let's, about let's not months. rush through it we're gonna we're gonna take oh, our time take here time. Okay. okay oh I see okay, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure what you, what you wanted to get to, to I, I never the virginity so I thought we'd fast forward to 28 <laughs> you know? oh god that sounds sad I never made it to uh, Whitby but I did buy my uh, ex-wife a lovely house in Ajax yeah it's sweet well Ajax is lovely yeah oh yeah it's great what? Was is the um like the commuter towns in England are they like old style like cause 
because everything here is just cookie cutter. Every house looks the same. Right. Yeah. It's not like that. It, I mean, people in England think it does until they come here. And and again, I mean, I mean, to be, to be fair to me, my, my wife's sister lives there and I've many wonderful Christmases and mm-hmm. wedding parties there. But yes, it is quite bizarre that you go there one year and, and there'll be yeah identical housing and then millions of fields. Yeah. And then you'll come back and then the millions of fields will be full of identical housing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't quite know how this is sustained. And, and, and Urban how, sprawl. Right. But that's exactly how it, how it is. You, right? you got to see how much farmland uh, we've paved over yeah, in this goddamn well, area. And, and one of these one of those wonderful things that we do not have to worry about in New Brunswick. The fields <laughs> stay fields. You can't even sell the houses that have been built. So <laughs> Just wait for them to fall down and build something new. Exactly. Oh, nice. So only child then? I know. I have a younger brother. Okay. Who, so your uh, parents made two mistakes. Anymore. Made two mistakes. And then uh, my brother and I both made uh, a mistake. If, oddly, by just weird coincidence, my brother also married a Canadian. I, okay. I married a, a girl from New Brunswick. My brother, a number of years later, just, again, no connection whatsoever, other than that he meets a girl that's over who's from Kelowna. They get married. And now, actually... Who my, got the Canadian first? I did. Oh, I went. I went, of course. <laughs> and and uh, they, I guess, they could argue they moved to Canada first, but then they moved back to England. And actually, right now, they are currently moving to, in the process of moving to Kelowna, or actually a place just outside, what's it called? Not Nelson. Um, uh, I, heard, I hardly know. Do, do you know that area at all? No. no and no. Um, it will come to me. But uh, about 40 minutes. Again, uh, probably the Whitby of uh, Kelowna. <laughs> there's a running. I kind of live in the. It may be the Ajax of, of St. John, just outside. Um, so. Uh, or, or the Osh- I'm in the Oshawa. Oshawa. The Oshawa of, of St. John. You got a knife, fan, I think. Fan- <laughs> 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 and I think they got pretty jealous of how our quality of life would improve by moving here. So they have uh, decided to do the same thing. Okay. What what do your parents think of this? Good question. I mean, obviously it's... um when we told my parents that we were moving, there was, you know, and it was basically during the time, when we told them my wife was pregnant with our second child. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there are some tears that, that, that basically, and my parents are both healthy, so yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they're basically uh, learning that these grandkids that they, you know, are in love with, or one they haven't met yet at that point, but this one that they see every week, it's now going to be once a year. But it's kind of testament to, I think, you know, Canada as a country that my mum kind of said that, that it was half tears of joy and half tears of, of sadness. And the joy really came from the fact that she knew that we were going to live in a safer, happier place. Mm-hmm. She spent her whole life uh, worrying about us. And I mean, it, I mean, I do. I talk about this in my stand-up about the fact that you know I lived on a street where two things happened where there was a, a drug murder like a, a yeah. two doors down from my house there's a police found a dead body and then they they, they searched this the is house. here and this was in this was in south london oh, where okay. I lived, right and um they searched the house where this dead body was and they found a million pounds worth of cocaine in the wall Jesus. now clearly whoever did the murdering not very good at looking for shit <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then a couple of days later a mob boss who kind of fled sicily 30 40 years ago and set up a new identity he was captured after you know 40 years on the run and so oh, now shit. neither of these two things were deemed extreme enough to make the front 10 pages of my local newspaper yeah. there's so much messed up stuff and and i don't mention this on stage but people often say to me afterwards well what was on the front page if um and and the reason i can't say it on stage because you want to bring it on is it's teenagers stabbing teenagers it's, it, it, it's teenagers murdering each other and it happens with at least they're stabbing each other right? well, well that is true that's a that good is, healthy way to kill somebody it, it is it's a good <laughs> way to kind of you know get people off their iphones <laughs> fucking, just fucking, no more emoticons just fucking stab them right i would go so 
insofar as to say, you know, so, and of course, you know, I mean, the areas of Canada with, with crime, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. However, you know, th- that kind of level of crime where there might be a teenage stabbing two streets away and you wouldn't even mention it when you got home. It would just okay. be like, you know, so whereas That's suddenly nuts. now to live in a place where, I mean, in St. John's, give you an example, in the last year we had one shooting and um, uh, I, there, was, uh, there was one shooting where, I think my first year there was a shooting, a guy got shot in the leg, but you wouldn't press charges because, and I quote, his mate did it by accident at the camp. Right? <laughs> and so basically the one shooting we had was a guy trying to do a wheelie over a lake on a quad on a four-wheeler while yeah. you had a bottle of rum in one hand, shotgun in the other, trying to shoot a moose and hits his mate in the leg. And then the other one we had was a, a, a cop got shot in the leg, but he did it himself at the gun range. Jeez. Right? And, and so you kind of compare those two. Things. So the real answer is that, that my... Um, Mum was kind of utterly delighted that, that my kids were not only going to grow up in a place where there's a sense of community and people are friendly and, yeah. you know, bigger houses, more space, more views, but also a lot less crime. The funny thing you say about that, uh, uh, like, they wouldn't report these stabbings or whatever in your local paper. I'm sure the shooting that happened in St. John got reported in Kelowna. Right, like, right, if there's a yeah. murder anywhere in Canada, everyone picks up and like, oh my God, someone went down. Th- yeah. That's it. That's it, right? And, it, and, it, and it's amazing. And, it, and this is the thing that's so kind of, um, I mean, there's many things. I don't want to kind of go on to know about how much I love this country, but like, you know, it, it, I think it's amazing, especially hearing from friends back in England and friends in America, like they really are confused how it is that we can be so close to a country that is so fucked up. Yeah. Yet uh, really are living in, in essentially, I mean, complete harmony by comparison. Well, they, the stats are that Canadians per capita mm. have more guns than the States. Right. Like more people have guns here, but right. we're not fucking idiots. Well, that's the thing. And this is the thing, this is the, the thing with the kind of gun, gun, gun. And I'm not saying all Americans are idiots. Like no, no, no. The ones that go to schools with their guns. Yeah. They're it, the idiots. It, it's, funny, it's funny you say that. Uh, <laughs> yesterday I was talking to... Um I was on a podcast yesterday and uh, I said how I was talking about the England leaving the EU and I basically just had this throwaway line that, that, that you know, the English are all shitheads. <laughs> and a uh, phone call comes in. It was a Todd Shapiro show and a phone call comes in uh, immediately from an English guy just saying, oh, I'm just phoning up to say that I object to you saying all English people are shitheads. And then we said, well, where, where are you, sir? And he goes, well, I left England 30 years ago. And just weirdly, and we're like, where do you live? And he goes, I live in Sandy Hook. And he's just moved to Sandy Hook. And it was just when I was like, really, come, I'm like, what, what, like, what, what? And like, and like, like, really, like, you're phoning up every time someone just calls yeah, yeah. this person a shithead. But I mean, uh, anyway, sorry, to go back to your point, um, th- there's that scene in Bowling for Columbine where uh, Michael Moore, you know, is in, and I can't remember the exact details, he's basically in one of the most, you know, gun crimey, uh, mm-hmm. if that's a word, gun crimey. He's Flint. Yeah, yes, yeah, areas of America, and then comes across literally to, to, to Canada on, 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 a, on a boat or something. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And and then is, is opening front doors, and of course there's shotguns propped up and all the rest of it. So it, it's kind of interesting that um, you know for those of us that are kind of you know pro gun control and everything else, that you actually look at that and go, well, you know, they, they, as you say, there's a shit ton of guns <clears throat> here, but just less morons. Well, I think it's like a, a societal thing too. Like America is prone to like these massive gun attacks, and mm. it, it's just 
it's just because it feeds into itself. Like people see it and they're like, well, one day I'm going to fucking snap and do that. Right. Know? Well, that's true. And, that, and, and and it's almost like it's it's being given to people as a career option. They're being, mm-hmm. they're being reminded every day that this is a thing you can <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. It's if like you, things aren't going good. Yeah, yeah, things aren't going good. Someone, someone flicked your ear in class. Well, guess what? You can show that motherfucker yeah, yeah. and you can show everybody else at the same time. Like, like it's kind of ingrained in them. The, the best thing I can equate it to is it's kind of like uh, how you know, the way in which the English drink and how basically you just got everyone every single person in is an alcoholic mm-hmm. and and you know you if you do this job where basically you know every weekend you're in a different city center in england it is a war zone like you walk out of a comedy club and you've got a two-minute walk to your hotel we're talking you know blood people fucking we're talking <laughs> bottles flying we're, we're talking police in riot gear uh you know you look you look at the a and e departments or i think e, er here mm-hmm. uh, uh you know it's full of people you know, broken teeth broken faces just i mean just carnage right yeah. and and um people say oh it's because the pubs are open too late or the pubs are closing too early or whatever it is but then you go to Europe where you can just drink all the time and they do drink all the time and Europeans uh, arguably you know in Italy and France are drinking uh, way more but just a civilised yeah, yeah 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 and, um, and which is why I always kind of found it very surprising actually in Canada kind of how restrictive like for example in England you can drink anywhere and they're mm-hmm. starting to pull this back but you could drink on you know until recently you could drink on tube yeah I remember because uh, I had English roommates and mm. uh I remember they were talking about the last night you could drink on the tube. Yeah. And it was just a big party. They had DJs set up. It. And like- it was kind of, but it was kind of like that every night until they did that. <laughs> and then now it's kind of still like that. I mean, in the, I mean, I mean, I still drink on the tube. Like, mm-hmm. again, I mean, no one's enforcing it. Um, so I always find it quite odd that in Canada, like, obviously in English parks you can drink. Yeah. Now... Canada is an extremely civilized country. People talk about partying and drinking, but it's not like, like, I mean, I've never, I mean, in England, a corporate gig in England is horrible. Like you're talking like people just like, you know, that one utterly shit faced drunk heckler that it, it's ruins a, 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 a gig <laughs> once a year in Canada or once every two weeks. Yeah. It's, it's 200 of them, <laughs> of them in, in one room. And, and the English just don't drink. And yet in, in Canada, you all drink relatively and by comparison, respectfully, but yet you can't drink in a park here. It's I find weird. It's weird, like everyone drinks in the park. Yes, everyone. But does. it's not legal, and right. uh, it was like a don't ask, don't tell sort of thing yes. for a long time. And then now, magazine front cover of their fucking magazine one week mm. had like two people cheers and cans in the park. Right, and they right. were like the new place to drink. Right, and the cops just showed up and shut it down. No way. Yeah, they're like, no, we're not going to encourage. This. Yeah, yeah, we can't, we can't promote the fact that we've been turning a blind eye. Yeah, you just, just yeah. let it happen. And but yeah. it's like uh, like marijuana here. Yeah, well, exactly same. Yeah, like, I was going to say exact same thing. I yeah. Mean, like everyone smokes weed. Yeah. Nobody cares. The cops yeah. don't really give a shit. No, I mean, anyway, no one knows. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I did a night, a, a one night in the cells when I was sixteen, seventeen for it. But since then, I don't think I've got a single. I've met a single person who mm-hmm. is either a thinking about that at all during the day. Yeah. Uh, when they're smoking out or whatever. I also don't know anyone that's been busted. So it's interesting. This whole kind of. Uh, I guess I mean the, what the reason people are excited about legalization is of course being able to buy it easier. Mm-hmm. But e- e- even then. I've never had a problem buying weed. Right, right, right. There's, there's no oh, my guy doesn't have any. I'll call my other guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I remember the like when it's like about I don't know five to ten years ago. It's when like weed really started. Uh, just like they started laying like stopped worrying about it. Right, right. And, like these vapor lounges and stuff opened up in the city. Yeah, and it was just like you could walk out of a bar. And the bouncer didn't want you to smoke a joint right in front of their bar. They just wanted to go to the next storefront over. Right. So just don't stand in front of the building if you're going to get high. But now it's like, yeah. just walk down the street, smoke a joint. People are like, 
people smell it like hey it smells good what yeah yeah do? yeah yeah no one's uh, no one's going someone call the cops yeah no. yeah and and so it's just one of those kind of cultural things i mean you know where uh, the English will always drink like that, and mm-hmm. they, they they bring in different restrictions, and they try they have these no booze zones, which again, I mean, just do not work. Don't we, the bars close early in England? Well, they used to, and everyone said that that I mean, and the, well, they they do, and they still do by comparison. I mean, a, a, a weird thing is like central London, which is in Soho, the twenty four hour city, mm-hmm. blah, blah blah. Trying to get a drink at midnight in central London is very difficult unless you're willing to pay to go into. I mean, strip clubs. You can if you're yeah. willing to just pay stupid money. Um, like um, nightclubs, m- members clubs, um, nightclubs again line up, but no pubs. Right? But, but no pubs exactly. You can't you can't go and have a civilized drink at uh, you know two a.m. See that's no. all I want. I just want a pub. I don't want to. I don't say. I don't need a laser show. No. I don't need fucking DJ. And I do not want that. No. I mean the other thing is I mean I mean I'm now getting to the stage now that <clears> even I mean I, I adore pubs, but I would still rather be in like if I was going to go on a drinking bend, I'd rather be sat at this table right now yeah. just with the, just with the, <laughs> like every different types of spirit in front of. <clears throat> And yeah, that's that's my. Well, yeah, I'll have to take you back to my uh, my place after this. Perfect. I got uh, I got a little bar in my basement. Oh called, nice. Uh, the Andrew Bar. Is it? Re- oh beautiful. Do, do you know Andrew Bar? Who, the, the comedian? Yes, I do know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, na- I named my bar after. That is very nice. Yeah. He must be honored. That oh, yeah, he's very honored. Yeah, because uh, Kira, when we built the thing, Kira goes, what are we going to call the bar? And I was like, the Andrew, Andrew Bar. bar. Nice. Like, Absolutely not. And, uh, <laughs> that's the name. We've, that's the name. We've got to sign up and everything. <laughs> well, that's where we're going after the show tonight. Fuck yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, what uh, would your parents do when you were a kid? So the, my, my my dad was a, a, a like a bank manager and I worked for Natwest Bank and my mum was a physiotherapist. Okay. So, so you guys were doing okay? Yeah, like like a normal kind of middle class upbringing. Like mm-hmm. like no no foreign holidays. My mum worked for the NHS and again it wasn't like a bank manager like a you know not like a you know, it was a bunch bank manager. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, normal kind of, you know, lower middle class, just, just you know, uh, no fun holidays, didn't go on a plane until I was 20 or the rest of it, but but perfectly comfortable, perfectly, you know, happy. Never, mm-hmm. never, you know, wanted... Well, I, I mean, partly why we didn't go on fun holidays, my parents are collectors. I mean, and it's a thing that I've inherited. But, you know, they would rather fill the house with weird old shit like antiques uh, antiques but kind of yeah uh, old books and guidebooks and this kind of thing they're hoarders they're hoarders they're yeah my, hoarders. my parents are big time hoarders right 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 <laughs> so you know what i'm talking about and I've, I've inherited it like i mean i collect vhs tapes so my house is just full of and now my, my kids i don't have vhs I, I still got a lot of dvds though right yeah i, mean, I, I don't even have a dvd player Oh, you don't. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I love VHS so much. I mean, I've, I've got, I've got block, original blockbuster video shelving in my basement. Um, uh, just, I mean, thousands of videos. I released my last comedy album on vinyl, and I uh, did it on vinyl only. Like okay. they said, right? So it's they said, right? So because you're investing such a stupid amount of money in this, mm-hmm. you can have an MP3 download card. I'm like, no, 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 no. If someone doesn't have a record player, this isn't yeah. for them. Okay. Right? I like because, that. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I'm one of those people that, um, you know, I like. I don't like making money, so I just do stupid <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why you moved to St. John. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, right, what, what, what are the best is what, what are the best career moves? Go, go to St. John and release now. I'm on vinyl. Oh, funny. Did you play any sports growing up? None. None? No, which is kind of why at school, I, I didn't have many friends. I mean, I was very shy and, and didn't, you know, I mean, I basically spent my whole time sitting in my room listening to comedy tapes and watching comedy videos. So, I mean, I, I failed everything. You knew what you wanted to be. I, I, I had, well, I failed no, I didn't. I, I think I never obviously considered it as an option just because I was too afraid to speak to kids in my class, let mm-hmm. alone. So I had no friends, uh, failed everything, 
and uh, wasn't sporty. So I was basically a triple bill of failure for my parents in the, you know, normally, at, le- at least, at least, you know, your son might be thick as shit, but at least he's really popular. Yeah. Or, or he might be really sporty, but not, you know, all the rest of it. I had none of it going on. But, you know, what better preparation for this <laughs> fucking shitty life? <laughs> so that was your childhood, hiding in your room? Yeah, exactly that. I had yeah. my room doing, making scrapbooks, uh, making little magazines about horror movies. As a relationship with your brother? Good. I mean, I mean, we we fought a bit. Uh, my parents how, like how much older are you? He's, so I'm two years. Okay, okay. So um, we fought a bit. My, my parents have an oddly negative outlook on life, whereby they've kind of perpetuated this myth and this idea that we were, you know, at each other's throats the whole time. So that has become, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a, a fact. We basically argued the same amount as, and so, so it's weird. My memories of, of childhood were my parents arguing in the front of the car constantly, and me and my brother maybe then starting to play with each other, and then them freaking out on us. And apparently, it's all our fault. And I now realise, <laughs> as a as a parent, that the, the biggest mistake you can make is blaming it. But my parents blamed everything on us. Okay. And and my thing now is, I mean, again, it sometimes it is right. To I could have been kids. something, you little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you know that we ruined all those years. We were arguing and fighting. And it's basically, I mean, our kids start fighting when we're fighting. That's that. that I notice a, a very simple pattern. Mm-hmm. Our kids don't kick off when we're giving them the, the proper attention. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing I see that parents do all the time and now, and especially kind of being away a lot and coming back, and you come back home and. Like I hear, par- I hear um, some uh, mums say, "Oh, you know, my, I'm a bit one of my son. You know, he's 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 all oh, he's all outgoing at home. But then we get to a, a party, and if if all the other kids are still there, he'll just bury his face in in, in my leg." And I'm like. I do that. I'm fucking 40, right? And I, if I get to a party and everyone's already there, I do the equivalent of bearing, which is go outside for a cigarette or go in the toilet and look at Facebook or just kind of nuzzle into my wife, right? I have the same thing, right? Um, it's like, oh, if he doesn't want to do something, he, he kicks off. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I, I love my job, but but social situations outside of this uh, make me very uncomfortable. So like, I mean, I'll go on the road for a couple of weeks, love what I'm doing, come home. And if my wife says we're going to a dinner party tonight and I think I being a table with eight people, I, I, mean, I don't do this consciously because I'm not a complete shitbag, mm-hmm. but subconsciously, I basically pick a fight that afternoon about nothing so I can then go, well, fuck you. I'm not going <laughs> to a stupid party just to get out of it, right? Now, I mean, so, so, so it's quite, everything that people say that their kids are doing wrong yeah. are things that, that, that we all do. Okay. Um, uh, so, so, so it's, and it's funny, actually, I know a lot of communities have that kind of thing where they socially, and uh, a, a shrink once explained it to me very simply. He said, uh, in stand-up, when you've been doing anything for a long time, but and, and as odd as it might sound to someone that, that doesn't do this job, but in stand-up, essentially you are in control. There are very few things actually that are going to happen outside of your comfort zone. Some, you know, someone's drunk and shouts something. Well, guess what? We've been there a fucking thousand times before. We know mm-hmm. how to handle it. We are in complete control on that stage, so it makes sense that we are comfortable. However, any situation where we're not in complete control, i.e., at a dinner party where we can't steer it or own it, it makes us uncomfortable. That was uh, that was his his theory. You uh, and that cost. 150 bucks for an hour. <laughs> you go to therapy uh, a lot? Uh, no, not, not anymore. I mean, I've been a few times. Okay. N- n- not, not a lot. Um, it didn't go. I mean, stop, stop going, to be honest, out of uh, financial reasons. You know, we, we don't can't have, afford we, this yeah, shit. We can't, yeah, exactly. We don't have healthcare. You, you uh, know what's and, cheaper? And, Whiskey. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Ketamine does the job a lot better. All my troubles are gone. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah, mm. you're uh, religion in the house? Yes, um, that odd form of 
Christianity, which involved going to church on Christmas. Uh, yeah, well, well, I mean, or, or actually, surprisingly, on, on on we would get up and and you know we'd get up regularly, and, every yeah, week? regularly, like every couple of weeks, we would go. And there's something about the tradition I I didn't mind, and and oddly now, well, maybe not oddly. I do sometimes go to church now, like okay. out of, and I mean, and to be honest, it was more, again, this is a kind of a community thing mm-hmm. in living in a small town that, you know, the local minister, uh, very, very lovely man. Um, it was more so, it was, I mean, the main reason we started going was, was there was a Sunday school there. So it basically meant, and the thing I loved about going to church, to be honest, was the, uh, the the way my mind works, and it's again, this is the same for all communities. We've all basically got about half a dozen undiagnosed or diagnosed things going on, mm. right? Whether it's you know uh, anxiety or ADHD or any of those things, right? Now, part of why I didn't want to necessarily go down the the uh, the prescription route with therapy was that I think the reason that I get so much shit done during the day is because I wake up, my brain's going, right, you got to do this, got to do this, you haven't finished that, you got to call that, you got to get this, you got to do this, you yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, I've done like you know, yesterday I, I flew a night before and got to my hotel at two a.m. I, there was a, a humming of friends at 7 a.m. And, and and then it did, did like four more things during the day and bang, 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 bang. Right? And, and so that's kind of what I think keeps me back. So I don't want mm. that nullified by uh, taking a drug. So one of the things that I love so much about being on stage is it's the only time of my day where my brain isn't in overdrive. I've only got one focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you know, you're not, you know, not like, oh, I've got this, I've got this, I've got, oh, fuck it, I've got to sort out this problem with so-and-so and, and, and argument with the, you know, it's it's the one, it's the only time really when, and I, I mean, it's which is why it, people do equate it to being on heroin, which again, I've never had the pleasure of doing and I do hope that <laughs> day comes uh, one day. Um, but, but, um, one day, just, but, just but, a taste. But yeah, it's that thing where, where there's nothing else to think about. The church thing started because we would go because basically Sunday school was was there mm-hmm. so we got to basically offload our kids for an hour so it's free babysitting for an hour and then I got to sit in a chair for an hour and again this minister was very good so he would actually talk about actually very uh, rather profound things you could just sit and listen sit and listen I cu- couldn't look at my phone mm-hmm. which again is a, an amazing thing in this I mean, age where this is basically most of our number one addictions yep. to be able to sit there I can't look at my phone. Just sit and listen. And th- thankfully and luckily, uh, if this guy was extremely, you know, uh, bright and also forward thinking. Yeah, he's not up there spouting homophobic or racist shit. In fact, quite the opposite. He's yeah. talking about inclusivity. And I'm basically sitting there thinking, wherever I stand on the on the belief scale, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. So, where, where uh, are you on the belief scale? Well, it's a good question. Uh, these are the genuinely the most interesting questions uh, <laughs> I've ever been asked. Um, uh, the honest answer is that um, I find both of the two extreme arguments uh, completely as ridiculous as each other. In the um, okay, so yeah, the 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 thing about you know a big man, white beard, created yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that doesn't seem very plausible. But neither does here we are mm-hmm. right and and i get that there's um some scientific shit that i'll never understand uh, going for one of them and i get the other one uh, someone wrote a book once apparently that said the other right so so, so there's basically yeah, yeah, these yeah. there's these two things uh, and i'm kind of like well I, I can't i can't possibly uh, understand both of them. so to me the most likely one is the matrix i mean is that really when i mean I, uh, when you actually sit and think about you like the matrix because they got pills yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. it's that thing where it's like are we like these tiny little like experimental mm-hmm. things and is it the truman show mm-hmm. you know has someone watched me like masturbating or like i, like, I, I do find so many coincidences happen that like like i'll be talking about something the next day yeah 
or something one day and then the next day it'll happen and i'm like what the hell yes yeah it, it, like, and you're like surely that has been conspired i mean it's like deja vu and these little things mm-hmm. that happen which, which you think is the matrix glitching and and i mean it's like that wonderful line that louis ck had about um you know when you see someone you don't know twice and it's like god's running out of extras in yeah. the movie of your life right <laughs> and, and it's true like i mean i look at like there was a guy who i when I first moved to, to London when I was like 20. I was living in this apartment uh, building and there was a guy who I'd at the bus stop occasionally and he would wear earrings. Wearing, I mean, this is going to make, make me sound a bit girl on a train. <laughs> but I'd see this guy and you know, he kind of he dressed like he was going to work at the, in the city or something. But I kind of was creating this life for him and he always looked a bit fucking... Like, you know, you could see he was, he was single, been out drinking the night before, but he'd put mm-hmm. on the suit, he's got to go into work, brave the day. right? And then occasionally I'd see him at McDonald's by Oxford Circus and I'd see him there. And I'd see this guy all the time. Now, this guy would never have seen me and yeah. i know this because you would never um and every now and again if i walk past him, i might nod at him and i get nothing back <laughs> and then, and i be i just see him in this right state and then a year might go over to and then i see him in a park with a woman i'm like oh good on you mate yeah completely and then a few years later i see him in the park with a kid and then i see him with the, in a park with with the kid and then a, a, a buggy with another kid right? <laughs> and i basically followed this guy's life you're in your eye yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is beautiful like, i basically directed my own richard curtis movie just forgot to film it Right. But yeah, I mean, those weird coincidences where you say something and something happens or just little dawning realizations. I mean, I mean, I'll give you a, a weird example. Do you know that? Do you know Brianne, the guy, um, I, I, I can't pronounce his surname. A guy who's been in the industry here for years. Brianne. Uh, Brianne, B-R-I-A-N-N-E. No. Um, I will try. I'm gonna, I'll get his name in a minute. Uh, amazingly, he, he produced the, the comedy awards for many, many years. Okay. And uh, anyway, it was one of these weird things. He came to the show last night. We went out We went out afterwards for a, a drink at uh, Easy in the Fifth, which is where I got married 10 years ago. Well, you and I had a drink last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was here uh, three years ago. And, um, and two things kind of came to light. One was that he'd organized this comedy festival in St. John, which um, oddly was the... T- uh, it was something which uh, the company, I, I arrived in St. John to visit my uh, stay with my wife's parents mm-hmm. uh, uh, for a few weeks like you know 10 years ago or something and my father-in-law says oh James there's a comedy festival happening here now and I went is there fucking bollocks like no <laughs> chance and, and you know that Kira was there obviously uh, as well as part of the part yeah. of the festival and, I'm, and I go into town and sure enough it's like everyone's there like you know Jeremy Hot's there Mike McDonald's there I went to all these shows and I went to a show out in this small uh, pub in Sussex and I was like wow you can do comedy shows there I mm-hmm. should put on a show here next year anyway put on a show and then made enough money to pay for my flight and i'm like wow we should do this again so basically it was that experience of, mm-hmm. of this comedy festival that this guy was one of the one of the organizers of uh that was one of the things that led me to ultimately move Oof. to saint john right okay. and then the other thing which i then discovered last night so we're talking and he says oh do you know ronda cusack who's a friend of mine in saint john and i said yes he said well we used to organize uh, dinner theater productions in saint john in the mid, uh, I'm loath to use the phrase noughties, but in 2000, you know, yep. 2004, 2005. In the zeros. Uh, in the zeros, exactly. That's, that's how it should be said. <laughs> and uh, so weirdly, I'm like, that's insane. He said, yeah, I was organizing the dinner theaters. Insane. And I said, what? I said, where? And he said, Water Street. Now, in just, New Year's Eve 2004, I'm again visiting St. John, on a on a uh, visiting my in-laws and we're flying back to London the next day and I'm basically at this, this kind of quarter life crisis point in my life I'm extremely <laughs> depressed in London very unhappy you know partying way too much just and, and, and not happy with my life and part of that frustration basically was not pursuing my dream of stand-up comedy that mm-hmm. was the thing that was ultimately uh, but I wasn't trying I was just being mad at myself for not doing it and for failing at it having not done it right mm-hmm. anyway I go to this dinner theatre and um, which it turns out this guy had organised 
anyway, I watched the first half of the show, enjoy it. And then the second half of the show, I'm kind of, I start like being very jealous of these kids. I'm like, hang on a minute. Like these kids, whatever they're doing during the day, whether they're at school or a job they hate or parents mm-hmm. they hate or lives, awful lives, whatever it is, at night, they are the stars of the stage. And, and, it doesn't, and that's the thing ultimately with showbiz. If you are doing the thing you love, it doesn't matter on what level it is, whether yeah. it's Vegas or Dinner Theater in St. John, it's all the fucking dream. It's what you dreamed of doing. Yeah. And um, I'm watching these and I'm completely like infatuated, inspired and jealous. And I went downstairs to the bathroom and looked in the mirror of the Wall Street Dinner Theater and, and said, this is the year that you're going to, right before me, this is the year you're going to try stand up. And it took me five months. Well, oddly, I'm then flying back the next day and we had to stop over in Hamburg or somewhere. And my, I, I, I get a text from my oldest, best mate in England to say, Marlon Drive signed us up for a stand-up comedy course. And I'm nice. like, that's fucking insane. <laughs> and then it still took me five months to have the balls do it, but I did my first gig in, uh, in, in May 2005. Now, How old were you? I was 27. Um, I was 28 first time well, I found yeah, it. And, and I wanted weird. to do it since I was a teenager. Right, and it took us that long. And it's weird when you start. And now that doesn't seem, it doesn't feel that, and now that we're properly fucking old, it doesn't feel mm-hmm. that old to start. But at the time it felt like, fuck, because I was seeing all these 22-year-olds yeah. ripping it up. Yeah. Um, but anyway, all, but all of that was a very, very long and roundabout way of saying, I'm this guy, it, the, to, to, to be talking to this guy and, and discovering that we had, that basically he was kind of indirectly responsible for these two, basically the two biggest uh, life changes I ever, di- I ever made in my life. Nice. We'll, mm. we'll get to that. I still got some questions oh, sorry, about the childhood. Yeah. No, no, don't mm, apologize. Yeah, it's good. It's good talk. Into tangent. It's yeah. <laughs> all right, man. <laughs> uh, were you a good student? At school? Yeah. Not, not at all. That's in school. I don't know. Where else you'd be like, yeah, yeah, well, 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 I mean, I mean, university. In your karate class? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was a great student. Yes, sensei. <laughs> in school, no, not at all. I mean, basically, because to be honest, I was, um, I basically couldn't concentrate at all. Yeah. So, so I basically, so, so no. You but, had ADD before they'd medicate ADD. They, exactly, yeah. And I just, I, I had, so, so no, I mean, I felt everything. But then when I got to university, I did. A lot better. I did a lot better with people actually being supportive. And uh, and I've always been, I guess, inspired by... So I went to university and I studied uh, women's studies and English literature. So it's an odd thing that basically anything I'm actually qualified to be in life is a feminist. I don't think I'm <laughs> There's not much demand for it. So I, I went into comedy. Uh, and uh, pre-hashtag me too becoming all the rage. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, and started um, sleeping with my university lecturer, which was... An odd thing. Is that where, good for feminism or bad? Well, yeah, well uh, good, I think. Good, I think. I mean, she, I mean, she, she, she was married with a child, so it was kind of sticking it to the husband. So I guess good for feminism. It depends where we stand on the feminism scale. And that was weird because, and it was an odd thing because she was teaching me Hanif Qureshi's The Black Album, which is one of my favorite books. But in that, it's about a student who sleeps with his lecturer. And I would, I read this book and kind of it was very turned on by this mm-hmm. b- prospect. No doubt. And then she and I went out for a drink one night and one thing led to another. And, and, and actually, yeah, I should probably be actually... I think she's still teaching. <laughs> anyway, Let's take it easy. Anyway, uh, yeah, she's still married, this, though? At, at this, <laughs> yeah, it was at this university in Canada that, uh, that, uh, that I McGill. came over. McGill yeah, University. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, but it was, uh, it was uh, you know, it was definitely uh, an enlightening experience, should we say. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. Uh, so, but, but I was definitely a better student at university and was definitely, I mean, as is often the case with people, I can be a very focused person when it's something I'm interested in. Okay. Um, what are you a popular kid or are you still hiding in your room through high school and stuff? A university. Um, I mean, slightly more 
po- had friends, but but stoner friends like we, you know, well, I mean, they, and which are real friends, of course. But 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 I mean, I, and I think I maybe uh, apart from my uh, lecturer, maybe. Uh, had sex with one other person through the whole of three years at university, basically because because partying was my chosen. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that was it, hard to get it up at the end of the night. It, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to get out of the chair. I mean, I mean, we we, we basically we're in a, we're in a, in a house where quite literally, and this sounds like an exaggeration. It's the kind of thing which if you saw it in a stoner movie, you would kind of say. It's, but it was literally like. It was, I mean, about two feet high of just garbage in the living room. And, and, and the garbage was made up, though, of obviously, you know, fast food wrappers, but also just disgusting pages from porn magazines, uh, women's studies research. And it's all soaked in bong water and just little baggies everywhere and beer cans, vodka bottles. And it was just, I mean, it was a complete... Um, How many guys living in the house? Three guys and a girl, actually. Oh. And, uh, and, and I mean, I mean, they were three of the loveliest people and we just had a great, great time. And it was, you know, it was one of those things but you all agreed who gives a fuck Let's yeah 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 well, I mean I remember, I remember one time that the electricity went out and there was like 10 pounds left and of course it was like look do we you know TV or pot and it's like pot obviously and uh, and so it was uh, but then somehow I did also do somewhat well um, academically as well okay um, you know through all that which which uh, is, prepares you very well for life in comedy um, you said you only got laid twice in university yeah did you get laid before university or were you a late bloomer in that yes once to a uh um, a, a, another older woman who was my uh, manager in WH Smith, which is kind of a less fancy version of Indigo okay. in um, in England. And again, that was uh, came uh, uh, started working there. Really, really fancied her. I think she probably thought, oh, you know, she's like, you know, she's uh, thirty eight. Her sexual peak. I'm eighteen. I'm probably at my sexual peak. Uh, little did she know that I was absolutely not. I mean, she found out five seconds into the lovemaking. <laughs> when it was the, over? The, the, yeah, when it was over, the, the lovemaking, yeah. And again, I didn't think I even knew that that was a bad thing. I'm like, uh, yeah, just, it was just instantaneous. And then I walk out of the room and I thought that she, she couldn't see me and I kind of went, in the mirror and she saw it and, and that was that was it um, <laughs> just yeah, giving yourself yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Giving you yourself did it kid you, you did, did it, it. <laughs> you did it all five seconds of it oh that's funny so um yeah so you get out of university you got a nice shiny degree and then you worked for G- GQ, GQ magazine. magazine yeah so basically so I left and I got basically a one week's internship at GQ mm-hmm. which uh, then turned into 15 years okay so yeah it was um so over that, and it's an interesting thing. Like I would, I would do um, interning. Interning is an, an interesting thing because, of course, uh, at first, uh, I, when I, I would get asked to go and do talks and stuff at universities, to and I was in the photo, photo department, so I'd do talks at universities about how to get into journalism or photography or whatever <laughs> else. And um, and a, a lot of the time, it's like at first I realized I was kind of doing um, them a disservice by making it sound like you go into an internship and you get the job. I mean, I've always embraced everything I've ever, ever wanted to do. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, especially yeah, you, go in, you go in full force. Yeah, you go in full force, right? Do a good and, job. And I kind of assumed that everybody did that. So like when I went in and someone said, you know, can you go to this bookstore to buy a book? I ran uh, ran there because well, if I'm five seconds faster than the last intern, then, you know, I, I mean, I remember my first day, someone said to me, um, they were writing a piece on teeth whitening products and could I do some research on teeth whitening products? And I'm like, well, I've seen all the president's men. I've seen, well, more importantly, I've seen John Travolta's Perfect, where he worked for uh, Rolling Stone magazine. I'm like, I know what journalism is. Now, what she meant was 
Google teeth whitening, print some shit and give it to me. What I did was went out of the office and went down to Harley Street and went to the dental library and photocopied all of this research that had been done. Went to three of the top dentist surgeons, interviewed them, came back, transcribed it. So I do have this pile of dossier paper, but none of it is Google. It's all like... Yeah, yeah. All real, real work. Real work. Real journalism. Exactly, right? Which is not how it works. And, um, and, but that was what I thought was what you had to do. And it was kind of funny that then over the following 15 years, I must have had... 500 interns come through and of the 500 the 10 to 15 that i had that did the same thing as i did Mm -hmm. are all in extremely high positions of like i mean one one girl was actually one of my last interns that came in it was amazing is now the picture editor of vogue magazine in england like basically Mm -hmm. everyone who which i guess i guess the thing with working magazines is is that it all of it is common sense mm-hmm. it's like it's like if you say to someone i mean i, I mean i give you a, a weird random example we were doing a photo shoot with a british comedian called izzy sooty who's in the tv show peep show <laughs> and um i had this idea of like oh let's do uh well actually it's not my idea a girl i worked with lucy watson had the idea i always want to give people credit where they she said why didn't you do her as murder on the orient express like agatha christie's murder and i said it's a great idea so i said to this intern harry grindrod who is now the editor of, of uh, ferrari magazine right i okay. mean again and this was like his first week interning i said okay i need a, I need i need a train i need a train carriage so i said i think there's a museum outside just outside london in Kew that has train carriages i need to shoot through the window of a, of a random train carriage <laughs> so a shitty intern would say well uh, 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 where do i get the number yeah uh, what do I say? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, what, 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 yeah, like, uh, yeah, a good one just goes and does yeah, what they got to exactly. do. Exactly. And then a good one goes, well, you said Q, so I'll Google Q and then I'll phone them and say, I'm friendly from GQ magazine. We're doing a photo shoot and at once if we could shoot through your window and would you do it for credit or do you want some money? Right. But a fucking amazing one like him goes, well, you told me to phone Q, but you did say you wanted to do murder on the Orient Express. So why not I phone the Orient Express and find out when the Orient Express is in London? And that's what he did. And it turned out that it was going to be in a storage unit in South London yeah. in three weeks. And then we ended up on the real Orient Express. Nice. Right? And all of those things, uh, 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 essentially, it's a common sense thing. Yeah. He did not need a, a degree to teach him that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was common sense. And that really, and that's basically, I'd say, what served me well in my time at GQ was everything's common sense you know when when i wanted to try and get an interview with jerry seinfeld well if they say no once we'll ask 50 times and keep coming at it a different way yeah and eventually they might say yes nice uh so what was your job at gq so it started off um on the writing side then the first job that came up was a picture job and i knew i wanted to, i had my foot in the door i didn't want to leave so i worked on the picture desk for many many years which what's is, the picture desk p- like, picture you're not desk. taking pictures but you're no like, so you're basically commissioning all of the photos okay, so okay. basically it's a combination of you know a feature comes in that is about uh marvin gay and you have to go and get the best unseen pictures of marvin gay so that you know obviously there's picture libraries like getty images that you go to mm-hmm. and you, you find the pictures but generally at the kind of gq level what you're trying to do is you're trying to find an old photographer that spent time with Marvin Gaye back in the day. Do you have some old contact sheets in your uh, in your loft that you can dust off so that we could run pictures that never been seen before? Okay. It was always that kind of, and it's, it's that right down to we're doing a piece on a hotel. Can you contact a PR and get um, pictures of the of the hotel, which is an oddly difficult. And how to old do. are you at this time? Like twenty three, yeah, like twenty two. How, how old were you when you finished university? So twenty. So I started at nineteen, twenty two, twenty two. So so finished at twenty two. Okay. And then started GQ a few months later. Okay. And um, and young buck, young go getter. Well, well, yeah. And um, <laughs> and then the other thing is, of course, organizing photo shoots, which is a huge part of it. So I started doing that, and then when I started doing stand up in two thousand and five. 
I'd say about five years after that. Basically, when I started doing, it's, or on the surface, it certainly would have seemed like I was doing well enough to be able to make a living in it. Um, it, it kind of coincided with the comedy boom in the UK when suddenly, mm -hmm. it, you know, not just the massive names were selling out arenas, but pretty much anyone that had a TV appearance was selling yeah. out an arena. My editor promoted me to a comedy editor and decided to start doing comedy issues, which mostly was to reflect the current popularity of comedy. Okay, yeah. But it was also uh, possibly partly, you know, to uh, give me a reason to not not leave mm -hmm. right you know because it's like even if i was if i was thinking about leaving well suddenly it's like oh i get to interview my heroes and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah so that was like a, i gotta go on the road well take your notepad right, 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 well, that's it, yeah and that was kind of the um fun weird dichotomy of what i was doing that i'd spend it might spend a day you know directing seinfeld in a short film for the gq website but then that night go and die on my ass in front of seven people <laughs> in a fucking farmhouse in the middle of nowhere yeah, yeah, yeah. you know which it was kind of a wonderful uh how, how much overlap did you have between the two? Um, overlap in terms of, um, I mean, not much. In the, it was a funny thing because some people, um, when they hear that, that's what I did, they're like, "Well, that must that must have that must have helped your career." And of course, I mean, as is the case, that there would have been times where I would have tried, certainly tried to uh, exploit the crossover. However, as as we both know, and anyone in the industry knows. There are absolutely no shortcuts in comedy because unless mm -hmm. you're funny, mm -hmm. like like you can like if you are a a shitty, there, there are lots of shitty actors out there that are very successful. There are lots of very very shitty politicians. There's lots of very shitty CEOs of companies mm -hmm. who are either but, there. But it all eventually comes out in the wash. Yeah, 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 exactly. But they can they can get away with it if people around them are supporting them, helping them. But when you're up on stage doing sound, there's no getting around. And this is the really the thing. Like there are going to be comedians that you and I might not like but basically anyone who's making a living doing stand-up is doing the job mm -hmm. and they are by then by definition a good stand-up like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, like there's no one backing them up you know a, a, a shitty actor can buy their way into a or, or you know a, a, a billionaire can finance a movie and buy their you know girlfriend apart oh, we or got buy themselves apart. We, we got a guy uh he lives in vaughn i think uh mm. his name's frank d'angelo right and he makes some shitty fucking movies mm. and what was this guy he he inherited his parents like they had this food company right. uh, like I don't know, pasta, something like a big name. Yeah. And uh, he's just been spending family fortune trying to make himself famous. Right. He produces his own weekly TV show. Right. Like, he's just a fuck, and he's awful. Right, right. And, um, he, he, but he's got the money. Yeah, yeah, but that's it. And, and, and but oddly, and there are, you know, uh, actors in Hollywood who cannot act as well, mm -hmm. you know, who, who have just got there through, through looks or or whatever it is that they've got going on. And yet, with stand up, there is no way around it. Like, either you are making the audience laugh or, or, or you're not. No one is ever going to hire, you know, a, a support act because mm -hmm. they want to, you know, you know what I mean? It's um, so which is why I, I love it as an art form and a craft, because it really is the most pure. I mean, a, a perfect example is, you know, you could you could be uh, like Jim, Jim. And again, I, I've used it a few times, but it's maybe not fair. But Jim Carrey has now decided that he is a painter. He is an yeah, artist, yeah. right? Yeah, because um, he uh, can afford to. Yeah, because he can afford to. So he can afford to have the most uh, the fancy studio. He can paint these amazing paintings. He can put on a gallery show in the fanciest gallery and he can invite all of his millionaire mates and they will come and buy uh, these paintings for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because it's the guy from Dumb and Dumber, not because it's a good painting. Exactly, right? And and that can exist. Now, on paper, that he would be a successful uh, painter. However... Mm -hmm. No one, you can't trick people into buying tickets for a comedy show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ultimately, like no one will ever go to 
I mean, the, the proof is always going to be in the pudding. You're up there on your own, mm-hmm. right? And um, so, uh, so the odd cross, so the odd, so the, the interesting thing, and it was definitely kind of it spurs you, it spurs you on to, I guess, to be around people that have inspired you. But um, yeah, it was more just weird and hilarious to me more than anything else. Mm-hmm. That you know that. Um, yeah, you know, someone Amy Schumer might be like, "So, do you, you, know, you, do you want to come out after?" I'm like, "No, no, I've got to, uh, got to go and die on my ass. I've got to get on a train for three hours and die on my ass." Yeah. Um, and again, it's a weird thing when you know I told my wife that this is what I was going to be doing. It's uh, 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 my girlfriend at the time. It's my girlfriend at the time, and we um, because you basically say, "Look, you know how we don't see much of each other now, and uh, you know." Uh, we see each other a couple of weekends when we're not working, or a couple of evenings. Well, guess what? Um, I'm going to take up stand-up comedy. Yeah, I so need we, those evenings we, back. Yeah, we're never going to see each other uh, at all. And she goes, oh, well, at least we'll have a bit more money. And I'm like, no, 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 we're actually going to have a lot less money <laughs> because for about five years... It's, i gotta, I got to pay for a lot of train tickets. I've got to pay for a lot of trains, a <laughs> lot of hotels, a yeah. lot of taxis. Uh, and um, you know how I'm quite depressed now when you see me? Well, I'm going to be a hundred <laughs> times more depressed on the rare occasion you do see me because I'm going to be booed off stage every <laughs> night that week. Um, but she ended up still marrying you. She, she, she did and, and has been... Um, was and is and of course there's always going to be times where it's just like this is ridiculous but for the most part has always been supportive and, and what, uh what's she do so she was um she was a magazine publisher in so she grew up in the, in on the in new brunswick mm-hmm. at about 18 moved to toronto worked for a company called gft which was the company that basically handled calvin klein and armani and then i guess after four years of being there they uh decided to um, you know they could do it all out of america so the company shut down her grandmother was english so she thought i'll go to england she arrived in 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 london with uh, a kind of a canadian or you know uh, certainly maritime work ethic and basically <laughs> just pounded the pavement applying for jobs she'd had fashion experience but no magazine experience and within a couple of weeks gets a job at vanity fair which is where we met we met on, on my first day uh, one of my oldest school friends is interning on vanity fair sees an email go around the building uh, about GQ needing someone to stuff envelopes for a week. That was mm-hmm. how, so at this point, there was no mobile phones. My parents phoned me at the dental surgery that I'm, uh, actually a doctor surgery that I'm temping at. And they say, Rob's called. So I walked to a pay phone. Uh, so I guess this is 2000, I don't know, 2001. And I phone him and he says, GQ have got some, uh, it needs an intern for a week. So I phoned them. Yeah. Anyway, so then a week later I arrive at GQ and I'm meeting my mate for lunch and he comes down the stairs with this girl and I'm like fucking why has he bought a bird with him I'm supposed to be getting shit faced on my first day interning but make a good impression and anyway yeah and, and then she um, you know and that's how we met and so she worked at she said at Vanity Fair for another year and then a Canadian uh, journalist by the name of Tyler Brule who started Wallpaper Magazine uh, basically poached her from Vanity Fair took her over to Wallpaper he sold Wallpaper to Time Warner they then had a creative agency for a couple of years. And then once his non-compete ran out, they started a magazine together called Monaco. And that's where she worked until we left. And then actually now we've started our own magazine out of our home uh, in New Brunswick. So that's what she does now. Well, this, this is a time to start a magazine. Well, this is the time. Hey, you're talking to the man that moved to St. John to become a comedian, released his album on vinyl and, uh, and started a, a magazine. Print magazine. Yeah. Just print, no digital. no digital. And we don't. We're not putting it digital. You don't no. want to hold this? You don't no, get... it's true. And, and, and it's funny, like, as with all of these things. Every ad space is just your album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's funny you say that we actually um I, I was trying to fill an ad page with my tour poster mm-hmm. uh, and she ended up selling that this, this final ad page at the last minute but i mean the interesting thing with print again i don't know how interested you or, or, or your listeners are in this but it's um it's a fascinating thing about how 
things that people perceive to be it's kind of, I mean, the idea that print is dead is almost the same when people go, well, well live comedy is dead because I've got Netflix. Right? Mm. And it's like, well, Netflix is great if you like uh, millionaire comedians whinging about how they're being censored <laughs> and then saying whatever the fuck they want. Mm-hmm. Right? And and nothing they, will ever take away the live experience. Yeah, 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 nothing will ever take away from that. Like, you know, I mean, I, you know, much as I love hearing comedians just bitch and moan that they're being censored and then just saying, everything that they're not being censored about. Yeah. Uh, I, I prefer jokes. And so, um, so, um, so uh, live comedy, we're not. And so it's a, it's, it's a weird thing with um, this idea that, that print is dead when you, know, you walk into Indigo. And of course, the magazine section would have been bigger uh, probably 15, 20 years ago. But there's still thousands of magazines. Yeah. And they are not, they don't exist because someone likes magazines. They exist for a financial reason. They exist because people are making money. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for example, I'm into, I'm massively into horror movies. A decade ago, there were four horror, well, even 20 years ago, there was four horror magazines that I would read and buy. I still read and buy those still same horror okay. magazines, the, 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 the Dark Side, Shock Cinema. I'm still reading the exact same ones. Plus there's about 10 more. There's, there's magazines launching all the time. So, so what we're, and this is kind of why we launched this. We, we, we launched it because we moved to uh, uh, the Maritimes and go, what, A, why is there nothing here conveying what it's really like here? Because this is the thing, everyone in, in other parts of Canada has this idea of the Maritimes as being somewhat destitute and, and depressing. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the, the truth could not be any more different. And partly I think they want to, they're happy for people to think that because they don't want millions of people flocking in and ruining it. Yeah. But, um, and it's kind of why I've always done anything. We started the magazine because we wanted we we wanted to read it. Mm-hmm. So we're like, well, it doesn't exist, so we'll create it. But as, as a business opportunity, wh- where um, advertisers come on board is, we work very hard to make the editorial content good. We work very hard to, to keep. We, you know, we we made a cut off that there would never be twenty more than twenty percent of advertising. I mean, again, going back to the printed dead argument, you pick up Vanity Fair, uh, which I just did a couple of days ago. Uh, the the first fifty three pages are all ads, but yeah. right? that's like, so, uh, so the first page of editorial is page fifty-four, and that is a list of people that produce this fucking thing, right? <laughs> and then you've got another page that's just like an editor's an ego fest, and there goes heads, and there's another page of a list of well, and there's another twenty ads, and you think, well, a, I mean, that's a shitload of income that they're making. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, w- we wanted to produce a thing where everyone was reading and devouring every page, so we worked very hard uh, to make the content great, and I, I have a copy for you here. But yeah. but uh, what advertisers are saying and it's interesting we actually meet we've met with some toronto uh, uh ad agencies and ad companies who are saying they're actually prioritizing print because the way they want to reach people is not when they're depressed driving to work on a billboard mm-hmm. on a billboard they don't want to uh if you're trying to book tickets for a show it's already annoying enough trying to work out the that e y x these letters that yep, you can't yep. and then suddenly something pops up right whatever that company is that pops up your na- your attitude subconsciously to that company is fuck you yeah, right, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. right as opposed to i've spent all day on my iphone uh, laptop computer blah 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 and i get home and i pour a glass of wine and i pick up a magazine i love and when you turn that page and you see this ad you're associating it with something pleasurable and enjoyable and sense uh, and of course no business is easy but oddly we, you know we were profitable in our first year which which is not um it doesn't doesn't have many many businesses but but and, and it's one of these um it's we, we, just well run well well well, well executed we, and, and there's there's um there's probably a million other things that we could have done that would have been way more profitable we we've uh, we did the thing we wanted to to do right mm-hmm. Nice. What was it? The, I was thinking that uh, it was like a Naked Gun movie, maybe? It wasn't the first one. Mm. Leslie Nielsen was reading a magazine, and those like uh, 
Remember all those, like, they used to stick inserts in, like, yes. that you could pull out? Yeah, and that millions. Yeah, and they're just falling out, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. it, like, goes to the shot back, and he just, he's just buried in them, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it's funny. It's, it's amazing how many companies uh, sign up for forms of advertising that just annoy you. Mm-hmm. I mean, even TV advertising, to an extent, given we are all now used to, you know, whether it's Netflix or watching films illegally online or whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's amazing because, I mean... It, TV commercials now they were always uh, slightly annoying. Mm-hmm. Now it's really fucking annoying because because you, you know it doesn't have to be that way. See, I don't even know because I don't watch TV. When the hell do I see? No. The funny thing is, I work in TV with commercials, right? And, and I don't watch any of right. them. I don't know what the fuck's going on. But, right? No, it's a weird dichotomy. And of course, there's there's hard ways to reach. I mean, again, one of the ways that I've, I've found to get sponsors for comedy shows or for tours and stuff was always like. How much were you going to spend on that billboard or on that, but on the advertising on the bus? Like, who is on the bus going, yay! Yeah, that's, that's what I've been looking company. for. Yeah, yeah, that's the company. You know, whereas, you know, to have your logo behind, in terms of like, you know, subliminal messaging or yeah, conscious or associated I, with something good. Associated with something good. So, you know, wouldn't you rather your brand, your label, your logo company? be behind people laughing their asses off mm-hmm. and forever associating it with this night of just pure orgasmic. Yeah, not some fucking asshole's B.O. Uh, uh, on the bus. Exactly, exactly. He's, he's holding the rail and you're just smelling his armpit like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then you look up and you're like, mmm, Smirnoff. <laughs> <laughs> no, that completely makes sense. Yeah, um, so were you love at first sight with uh, with your lady on that lunch date? Um, or I think I... Take I, you a while to get in there. I, I, I Yeah, I think... I I, I was a bit like I definitely fancied at first, but then that's um, just ma- male thing, isn't it? And then um, mm-hmm. she took some convincing. <laughs> um, uh, well, you've like, already told us you don't have much game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is at no the point you, you, I think you've only got three under your belt at this point. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> got three under my, thank you. I like that you're giving track. You, I, I noticed you write something down. There's a, a like, tick every time yeah, you like, said you got the laid. The next guest that comes in, you're like, this is the last guy's number. Um, you're right. So there's, yeah, I haven't got much to go. And again, my technique is still just to get absolutely uh, shit based all the time, which is kind of a very good way to start a relationship. It actually doesn't help you much later when they start <laughs> that point five years in or ten years in when they decide that you know alcoholism yeah. is not yeah cool the, the party's over we're, uh, yeah exactly we're have some kids now at least you're able to kind of say i never lied to her i always like like there was there wasn't that kind of period of like yeah you know, i wasn't mr Ch- you know, swat, you know, yeah no i've been a drunk since the beginning yeah yeah i have been a complete fuck-faced fucker mm-hmm. since the day we met the, the first seven days we knew each other i was i was paralytic so yeah. guess what Welcome to the party. Sign up. Or that was me and Kira. Uh, the uh, the only interaction we ever had was at bars, right? Until we started dating, and then the dating continued in bars. In bars, exactly. Yeah, so. and and it's funny. I mean, we party way more now. At, I just turned forty. She's. 43, 44. I can't remember exactly how she is. Maybe. Uh, um, <laughs> Older but, um, woman. But we definitely go. party more now than we did because we just didn't have time in London. How long have you been married? Uh, Eleven years. 11, you got married years. over there. No, so we got we're living over there. We got married in Toronto. Okay. So actually, we got married at Easy in the Fifth, where you and I. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I told you this story. Oh, yeah, when we were there, you're like, I got married here. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird, and and I remember it, it was like we. I've been doing. Sta- it was like 2006. I've been doing stand up for just over a year, and, and and we're up on the terrace, and I remember. Yeah, I hope it was the terrace, not the basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah not the basement part. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, beautiful day, and, and again, but I remember doing the vows. I could see the Yuck Yucks logo, and I remember. Uh, uh, being up there giving my vows, I'm looking at her 
Well, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm saying, I'm speaking to her, but my eye is on the yuck yuck sign. And I'm just thinking one Speaking day. of her, but you're thinking about Mark Bressler. I'm thinking about, exactly, exactly <laughs> that. I'm thinking, I wish, yeah. And it was basically that thing of like, one day, one day I will, I will play that cover. And I remember vividly Jason Rouse was playing, uh, who I knew obviously from England. He was actually playing uh, at the club that week. And I remember being like, you know, so, you know, the wedding's over. Any chance we pop down <laughs> and watch a late Jason show. Rouse? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was the perfect person to see uh, after the wedding. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, so it's, it's one of those again. So those it's those little things where I mean, sometimes I think you know, possibly by by being mental, you, you put too much emphasis on certain life things. But again, I think I said to you uh, when we were in, is, you know, three years ago, that it is one of those kind of moments that you think, well, if this was a movie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or if this was some kind of Truman Show thing. Um, it, well, when these things happen in movies where someone's you're getting mad and they look over and they see the Yark Hoax logo, <laughs> and then and then and then ten years later they're they're headlining the club and yeah. right, it, you would go bullshit. That wouldn't fucking happen. But the thing is, sometimes in life they do happen, and those are the times that make you question uh, what you believe in. <laughs> All right, <laughs> were there were kids born over there, or over here? Both born over there, yeah. Okay, but with uh, the wife being from here, it was easy to get everybody in then, right? Yeah, well. It's very easy to get them in. This is the weird thing: is how fucking difficult it was for me. Like, I, I mean, a year of of paperwork of bullshit. It was kind of like when you watch movies and someone like the movie Green Card, when someone is trying to get into America, it is not that different. So basically, I have a Canadian wife. I have two half Canadian children, uh, uh, and this is the odd thing. So I so so I move here. And I turn on the news and all I see on CTV is what have we got to do to get more people to move to well, yeah, Canada? Yeah. What have we got to do? And especially the Maritimes. Like, what have we got to do to get more British people to come to New Brunswick? Uh, blah, blah, blah. How do we up the population? And they're like, well, you know, open our doors to war-torn countries. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, he- he- here's a way you can make it easier. <laughs> N- don't do this anymore. <laughs> Takes me a year of paperwork, right? And, and it's so weird because you're uh, British Commonwealth. and B- it's like- B- British Commonwealth, I've got a list of references. So I have an age, I have two uh, references letters from here one from an agent in montreal i believe i've got something from yuck yucks as well from basically saying i'm guaranteeing this person work i'm mm-hmm. also got letters from companies in england saying we are going to keep paying him and and that he will be paying tax in your country so we've been paid by uh, uh organizations in england paying tax in yeah. canada so so i'm not coming here without i'm coming here with guaranteed and work. you got an education so, so, too, yeah, i mean and- that um i had and, and there's all these different corrupt elements to it for example you obviously have to go for a uh, you have to go for a, a, a drugs test and a piss test and all of these medical tests. Oh, you're but you can't go anywhere uh, <laughs> except uh, a place in Knightsbridge, which is uh, like the fanciest part. So it's basically, you know, it, it's a backhander deal, clearly. In the, I could, Any doctor could have done it, but the only place is the place where it costs 500 pounds. So all of these, uh, the cost of escalating, it's years and years. Yeah. I have to provide witness statements and photographs of the wedding. Now, listen, here's the deal, right? I love... St. John New Brunswick. No Brit from London, England in history has ever married a woman, stayed with her for 10 years, had two kids just to sneak out of London into fucking St. John. That has just never happened. There is no, that, has, and that will never happen. There is no precedent for that. And yet, um, I, I mean, and so, yeah, the mind boggles. I mean, it's so, yeah, it was extremely difficult um, to to uh, get in. But that, I mean, that is testament to how much I wanted to be here. I had a, I had a little uh, a love affair with um, an English girl. Oh, yeah? Um, my, uh, here or there? Or? Oh, here. My my BFF mm. married a girl from England. Yeah. Uh, so wedding time, all her friends came over. Sweet. And then I spent like two weeks with this girl. And uh, then she went back home, but we maintained a, uh, you know, yeah. maintained communication. And there was this big 
thing. She was going to move over here and she was starting to get paperwork in order. And then I, uh, when, when it, she started really getting thing, some traction, that's when I was like, you know what? Yeah. Maybe this is a really bad idea. Right, right. Because you are very tied to that person <laughs> yeah. if they come. Yeah, over. yeah. Like, if yeah. you come over, it's just us. And I don't know. Yeah. Like, and I don't com- really know you. And you're completely responsible for them. Because that is the one that, and again, this is no, no disrespect to my wife, but... but because she and again she wasn't I mean, she she'd come come over to England anyway mm-hmm. but there was definitely a pressure there of like you know I had to be there for her because she didn't have this built in network yeah. of, yeah. of people right and then if you come back here you say you guys break up mm. and what are you gonna you're gonna move back to England and leave your kids here like right. it's uh, yeah no yeah it's definitely yeah it sounds like you did the right thing mm-hmm. yeah 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 Very no smart. I was uh, I was oh I was just a coward I right. was. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, it's better than better than ruining her life. Right? <laughs> it's very odd how hard they make it, but um, like mm-hmm. I say, I mean, I'm glad I did it. Obviously, um, we uh, we're almost out mm, of time because cool. we got to go tell some jokes. Yeah. Uh, I just want to uh, touch on your uh, movie real quick. Mm. Um, uh, what is it? Comedian's Guide to Survival. Yes, yeah. It was based on you. How did this all come about? So um, it is one of these bizarre things. So so the plot of the movie it, essentially what how it, how it was born out of was. Um, a school friend of mine who was directing a lot of the videos that we were doing with these, you know, comedian stuff for GQ and for various mm-hmm. web series we did for Comedy Central and stuff. He um, found it hilarious that, you know, that I was interviewing these people and they're running up and doing these shitty gigs. So yeah. He basically wrote a script about this uh, uh, comedian uh, who had a job he, you know, I mean, everything's out of it, who had a job he hated on a, on a magazine and his editor keeps rubbing his face in it by making him interview these, these comedians. Mm-hmm. And so it's semi-fictional, uh, some of the instances happen. I mean, some of them are things that I used to do. Like, I mean, I would I would be in a GQ editorial meeting and say, oh, uh, and my boss would go, right, James, what do you think? Who, who should we, you know, how are we going to shoot this person for the cover? I'd be like, uh, I just need to go for a quick piss. And I'd go out and grab my bag and jump on a train and go to, <laughs> and, and quite, and this was actually before I even had email on my phone. So I'd basically go and travel for three hours, go and do a gig somewhere to 10 people, mm-hmm. get back home, not, and not know that I couldn't check any of my angry emails until I got through the door when I got home. Yeah. Um, so it's all those kinds of, so that's how that came about. Um, I was, I don't know if I've talked about this publicly before, and I guess now statute of limitations. Don't worry, nobody listens. It's, to it's probably it's probably okay by now. <laughs> but um, I was basically supposed to play. I was supposed to play myself. That was the the plan. So, oh, how how did it come about? My mate writes the script. Uh, we worked on it uh, together, and then it, we put it, put it aside for a couple of years. Uh, I moved. I'd moved to St. John at this point. He did a couple of well, very uh, very well received horror movies, and then was kind of given you know, couple like that. Like, what do you want to do next? And he was like, well, I've got this great script. So he kind of punched it up, made it good. Basically, this is the thing. Phones me out of the blue and says, the thing's happening. Nice. And I'm like, that's insane. So, you know, we, we went to uh, Just for Love. So, the, so, the, so there, was one, there was wonderful moments in the process of like sitting. I, I ended up basically, he came to St. John's so we could, we, we punched up the script a bit more. And I was giving him bits of stand, real, real stand up. So that the, mm-hmm. the uh, anyway, but we were also rehearsing because at this point we're a month or two out and I'm supposed to play myself. Um, during the rehearsals, whereby I cannot act for shit. Yeah. And I, I hate, pe- I, I, one of my greatest hatreds is people doing things that they're not good at just <laughs> for, for ego or whatever else. And, I'm, and and I also didn't really fancy the prospect of being in England for six weeks, doing something I'm shit at, day yeah, in, day yeah, out, yeah, yeah. sucking at something. Like I've, 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 I've had plenty of that in my life. I didn't want any more of it. And um, 
while we're rehearsing, I mean, he's basically saying to me, which is true. He and this is this is the fact. You, I mean, the only the listeners can't see me right now, but you can see I use my hands a lot when I mm-hmm. talk. And this is very simple. And he he said to me, he said the problem is James. He said you can't. You, he said I know you're playing yourself, but you can't do. You can't be yourself because he said the problem is you act in real life the way that a bad actor acts in a movie, <laughs> right? And it's true. A bad. This is how a bad actor acts. This is how you're uh, very manic. Th- th- this is how the fucking what's the what's the guy's name? The disaster. Uh, the the room guy. Oh. Uh... Yeah. Fucking Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau. Like, if you watch him acting, it's it's how I am in real life. Right? <laughs> so you put this in front of cameras and it just looks like bad acting. Mm. So he kept being like, turn it down, turn it down. And I'm just like, I, I cannot do this. Anyway, it's long story short, I basically decided I'm, 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 I, I pull out. He's very upset. We're a few weeks out from starting shooting. And it's at this point, I guess it's, uh, I don't know how many. It was, you know, it was a decent sized budget. But then anyway, long story short, James Buckley arrives, who's a very big star in England, star of the Inbetweeners, which is a, a huge sitcom. But then also they made a movie of the sitcom, which went to British cinemas and became the highest grossing comedy in British history. Not the highest grossing British comedy in history. Like it made more money than fucking The Hangover in England. Like okay, it cost shit. five million to make and it made and it made like 80 million in England alone. Mm-hmm. And it's on Netflix. It's very funny. Um, he reads the script, likes it, and and is agree, agrees to take the part of this James Manager character. I, I assume at the time, having no idea who that person is, yeah, um, it was just simply that he liked the character, liked the part. Um, so that led to wonderful moments, obviously, during the making of the film. Watching, we're in Montreal in the same room that we were in five years prior, interviewing comedians, and I'm watching an actor playing me interviewing in some cases the same comedian yeah. uh, but of course the character is kind of written up and again the character is very you know he is he is trying to manipulate he's saying well, what if i put you in the magazine and you get me to open for you and you can imagine like mike <laughs> wilmot and mike ward's responses to that and stuff um that's so great. but yeah anyway that that's what came about and um you know, where can we watch that uh, good question in the, I mean if, if someone just writes to me I'll send them a link it, we, uh, they have uh, wide release in the UK yeah so it, so it, it had a limited cinema release and it premiered here at, at Just for Laughs and um, released on, on it, and did fairly good business on DVD in England it's like a supermarket mm-hmm. uh, like a Walmart yeah, yeah. You know, and uh Oddly, and I have no idea why, it's never made it here in any capacity, which is, is insane to me, given the amount of shit that you can get on. And it's a co-Canadian production, too. Yes, it is, exactly. And yet, for some reason, I mean, someone... we got a fucked up film industry here, man. S- someone's not doing their job in the, uh, in the... I don't even know it's someone here. It's someone in England, I think, just hasn't done the right thing. That They haven't managed to just give flog it to Netflix, flog it to, flog it to Bell on Demand. I mean, I see these mm-hmm. other movies that mates of mine have made in England, British gangster movies that pop up on the Bell mm-hmm. uh, on Demand. Anyway, it's not here. So if you write to me, I'll, I'll send you a link. Yeah. Um, I might be writing you for and, that. And it's um, and it's not one because it got you know it got very shitty reviews from film critics, but very good reviews from comedy critics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's who we're really trying to impress. We're, we're, we're working for the back <laughs> yeah, of the room. Yeah. And the film critic, I mean, understandably, the film critic, uh, magazine journalists and newspapers did not like. Uh, a character who basically uh, portrayed them badly and also had a fairly enviable job, which he 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 didn't like. Uh, comedy critics liked the fact that it was in in some, of course, most of exaggerated, but some points were somewhat accurate about um, mm-hmm. the life. Anyway, you're nice. right. We should go and tell we'll some. Get it? Uh, uh, what, what's comedian's guide the to comedian's survive? Guide to survival. Yeah, but um, find it, guys. We all got the internet machine. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it did very well on Pirate Bay. I understand. Nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, well, what'd you think? Do you feel good after this hour here? Very good indeed. Yeah. Feel opened up. Uh, yeah, very open up. Were you hoping there'd be potatoes? Uh, I was hoping there'd be beer, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but but you know, and we're going to be in a club in about five minutes. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, yeah. We're, we're an Uber ride away. But exactly. 
but this was no, it was a pleasure. And um and genuinely a very um yeah, I feel opened up. Good, I do feel, good, I do feel like I've just been, been uh, scalpel. Good, and good. And cheaper than that uh, that, therapist exactly, used to Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I owe you 150 bucks now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, why don't you let the good people know where they can find you? Any other socials, anything you want to Yeah, plug? like, I mean, all of the socials, Instagram, everything, it's all at James Mullinger. That's James M U L L I N G E R. If you want to come and see a show, uh, my website's just jamesmullinger.com. And, and if you want to watch it, if you're interested in that whole, like, how I came to live in. At St. John, there was a documentary, a CBC documentary on YouTube called City on Fire. So if you just type in City on Fire, James Mullinger, uh, it's kind of about, uh, you know, moving here and trying to adapt. And, and it's, it's a piece of work that I'm just, you know, it's very rare in this life that we produce anything that we're proud of. And it's mm-hmm. one thing that I... When's, uh, when's the big show, the Harbour Station show? You're exactly. selling out an arena for the second time? Well, trying. Um, yeah, April, it's <clears throat> April 28th. And uh, two years ago, it was also April 28th. I mean, again, it goes back to all these fucked up uh, <laughs> things in my head. Like the voices in my head are like, it must be the same date. It won't well last time if it's not the same date. And it, yeah, it's quite a joy that the the this wonderful big arena in St. John, there's like five shows currently scheduled for this year outside of hockey and basketball games. And it's like my show and the next day it's like WWE wrestling mm-hmm. and then uh, it's ZZ Top <laughs> and um, Dirty Dancing Live. Nice. Well, it's so, you a- know, this is how we roll in the meantime. Fuck yeah, man. Everyone needs to be entertained. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was our uh, our hour or another, another episode of The Potato Files here on Never Sleeps Network, guys. Uh, if you're looking for me, I'm at the Underground Comedy every single Wednesday night for Dope in My Comedy. It is the best $5 you can spend in this city. And if you want to find me on all the socials jeffpaulcomedy.com on everything uh jeff paul comedy for twitter instagram facebook all that shit guys come find me let's fight sometime james thank you very much for coming in pal let's go make them laugh thank right? you let's do that let's have, let's have a good gig tonight Fuck this is a, yeah this is a to have a good gig all right guys yeah. that's the potato files come back soon bye-bye <laughs> Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Hello to the five people still listening and mom. Thank you for listening to the Potato Files here on Never Sleeps Network. Now that you're done this, go check out another NSN podcast created right here in Toronto. Comedy and wrestling fans, check out Casey Corbin's wrestling podcast, Talkin' Wrestling, here on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.